Okay, so we're doing this series, aren't we? Yes. Yes, sir. You think so? Yes. <laughs> uh, we're doing this series on culture, and we've, we're doing culture of honour at the moment, and it is my task to talk today to you about honouring your leaders. Honouring your leaders. Um, we're doing this one because it's biblical. I've never actually preached on this before, though I've done seminar after countless leaders' seminars around the world, um, at least places I go around the world, countless leaders' seminars on this subject. For leaders, of course, it's being worthy of that honour. That's what leaders need to hear. But churches need to hear too that we're to honour our leaders. I think we'll get into, uh, <clears throat> there are two main scriptures I'm going to talk about in a minute, but I think we're, just to remind ourselves, there's, there's a lot of confusion because of the history of the church through the centuries. I'm not talking about the, just the 20th century or the 21st century, I'm talking about all the centuries. Because what happened in the church was that very early on, the concept of an anointed, Holy Spirit-led leadership who God puts in place in his miraculous ways was put aside in favour of man's ideas of who'd be good. Which, of course, soon leads to politics taking over and man's ideas of who will be best for me in this position as opposed to you, who are voting for someone else. And so, we didn't quite get to Trump versus Clinton, but uh, it got pretty bad. And in fact, you are sitting here now as a result of God intervening hugely in the 16th century. God intervening and saying, enough of this politics in the church. Enough! Now you're wondering what I'm talking about, those of you who didn't do history at school, is that right? So I'm talking about the Reformation, when God picked up some men and revealed scripture to them and revealed what it was saying and the Reformation came to reform the church from the abuse of power. Because that's what, uh, what happened. When New Testament principles are left behind, when New Testament principles and values are left behind, when, when we turn away from New Testament forms of government in the church, then we open ourselves to uh, these abuses of power. And the Reformation, of course, uh, was to change the abuse of power that the Catholic Church uh, was performing across Europe. Um, there are other abuses of power, of course, even the abuse of voting power. When churches started to vote for leadership, and there are many denominations in this country who still vote for leadership, then the voting system becomes abusive. People use it to further their own ends within the church. It's a recipe for disunity, not a recipe for unity. It's a recipe for faction building, not a recipe for unity. Voting goes to politics only too quickly. 
And so abuse of power in how people vote. Then there's all sorts of other models of church uh, that have come and gone and so on and influences that all confuse business models and why aren't we running the church like a business um, and so on. <clears throat> so today, I want to get back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say about honouring leadership. So the, I'm going to do three things, I hope. First thing is, honour as an attitude. Secondly, honour as a consideration. And thirdly, honour as respect. Okay? Honour as an attitude, honour as a consideration, and honour as respect. <clears throat> I don't know why I've done them in the, that order. They could be reversed, really, probably. But anyway, here we go. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's just a few verses. In fact, it's two verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. What's your attitude towards leaders? Let me tell you about some of the attitudes that I have experienced. I'm going to talk about some negative ones and some positive ones, okay? So we'll start with the negative, because that's <coughs> better way around, yeah? So, for instance, I often pick up this one. I could do better than him. Or what about this one? I resent their self-proclaimed authority. I resent someone taking that authority. I want to decide for myself everything about my spiritual life. Hmm, how do they spend their money? I don't like the way they spend their money. Why has he spent it on a Rolling Stones CD and not on a CD that I like? To take a stupid example, that's not actually happened to me. How are they spending their money? And of course, the other one, I want my vote, I want my say. That's where I stand. What about the over-positive attitudes? These are the over-positive attitudes, okay? So Christianity, especially in Britain, has had a sort of something of a set of pedestals with idols on them. Uh, you could, especially in worship leading, you know, there are worship leaders who are bowed down to and um, music people who are bowed down to. There are preachers who are bowed down to and people put them on pedestals and go, wow. And um, 
you know, sometimes it leads to unfortunate results. And I suppose I, I put Mark Driscoll in that context. He was certainly put on a very high pedestal. And everyone went, wow. And when things went wrong, oh dear. Whereas things might have been better had he not been put on such a high pedestal. Terry, Virgo, the great Terry, who started our whole movement of churches, the worldwide movement of new frontiers. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches all across the world started from this little place on the south coast of England in 1970s. What a God story that is. And in response to that, a lot of people put Terry right up there. Woo! There are certain things that bring it down to earth. Like when he nearly drove into my garage whilst reversing. Brings it down to earth. He's just a man. He can make mistakes. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous Welsh preacher at Westminster Chapel for years and years and years, was similarly put on a pedestal to the point where, you know, they, they print his, his books of his sermon series. You know, there's this Roman <coughs> sermon series. If you come in my study, you can see it right away along the bookshelf, you know. Romans. <laughs> Ephesians. Yeah? Galatians. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Just himself. Unedited. Every word printed on the page. You can also now listen to him online. It's been dead for years, but it's, it's really weird. Uh, so there he is. The great doctor, they called him. Adulation. There's those people who want you as a leader to be their special friend. And they get jealous when you have other friends. Because you've got to be their special friend. It can be so destructive in church life, things like this. I've experienced that. A nice over-positive, over if I can call it that, a nice over-positive is Russian babushkas. They are these little grannies that are tend to be round and they queue up to be prayed for and they queue and they come up to you and they look up to you and they want a touch from the English pastor and I don't want to I'm not putting that down I'm just saying this is this is something that, for most of them, they probably don't need a touch of the English pastor, but they come to receive. Paul faced negative criticism and over-idolization. In the Corinthian church, as you've got one and two Corinthians missing is... 1B and 2B Corinthians. 
to be or not to be. There is a question over that, but we at least have one and two Corinthians, and uh, it describes, you know, as you read those two books, you can feel the pressure. As Paul talks to a church that was dividing itself into factions, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. These factions were arguing with each other as they idolized one or other of these leaders. That was the favoritism. And then Paul talks to them about false apostles, people who they were receiving and when he felt they shouldn't receive, they should understand. Critics who said of Paul that his, 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 poor, he writes good stuff, but when he comes, cool, he's a little, little tiny bloke who's, oh dear. So what am I looking for? When we're talking about honour as an attitude, what am I looking for? Well, I've broken the habit of a very long time. I'm going to quote from the message. Okay, this same, this same passage from the message. And now, friends. That's nice, isn't it? Friends. Are we friends? Good. We ask you to honour those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging. <coughs> Urge. Urging. And... Oh, I lost it. And guiding you. Urging and guiding along in your obedience. They've been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Now listen to this. This is the next bit. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. I look forward to being overwhelmed in appreciation and love as a result of this morning. You do appreciate me and love me, I know. Attitude to leadership, this is the first thing. Appreciation and love. We're seeking wisdom for you, we want to feed you, we want to encourage you. Just love us. You know it's hard to confront people sometimes when you have to. It's tough going. But if you don't confront people, they lose the opportunity to change. And so we want to guide you and lead you. <coughs> and it doesn't always mean confrontation. It means encouragement as well. Those of you who have joined the church recently would have been on the starting point. Here is starting point. Those of you who have been here for years and donkey's <coughs> years may not have been through this, so I'll just tell you, those of you who've never been through this, what you agreed to when you joined this church. On page 29 it says, respect your leaders. Leaders are called to be your servants and your examples. 
in the process of your development and maturing as Christians together. Leaders seek God for his wisdom in guiding the church and overseeing its activities. Leaders are to guard you from doctrinal error and to seek your best interests, not their own. All this is from our side as leaders. From yours, the Bible calls for respect for them and even when necessary, a good response to their advice to you in order to achieve these goals set before us all, a united and happy church, fulfilling all God calls us to do. So, from yours, respect and a good response. Respect and a good response. You know, it's a joy to lead a united church. A church that loves and bears with one another. It's a joy and not a burden to lead great supportive people like you. Full of potential to do good things. It's a joy to watch new leaders grow and take their place. It's a joy, not a burden. It's a joy to lead a united church. And it's a joy, not a burden, to lead this church. This is the last time I stand here as the leader of this church. And next week, I maybe have a few minutes just to talk a bit about my years here. It hasn't always been a joy because the church hasn't always been united. But for many years now, we've had the joy of leading a united church. And I just wanted to say that this is reinforced to me by the Spanish team that got back a couple of weeks ago. The <coughs> Spanish team. Because this is what Dom said when he got back. And we sat in his study... And I said, oh, I'm glad you lot are back. We've had such poor attendance on a Sunday because there's people away in Greece. There's people away in Spain. There were people away all over the place. There were people on holiday in America. There were people at work. There were people on shifts. There were people out everywhere. It was terrible, Dom. I just couldn't take it anymore. Thank goodness you're back because... And Dom said, I'm so glad to be back amongst the people who are committed to this church and love this church and stand with us because I have seen something of the opposite where things were not supported so well, where people were more casual, where leading that church must be very difficult. And I've come back here to bask in the... This is not exactly what he said, okay? I'm, I'm, I, he's, I've come back here to bask in the wonder of the great people in this church. So look around at the great people in this church. Don't you look good? <laughs> I 
Jono is communicating with someone who looks good over here. I'm just wondering who it is. <laughs> the joy of leading a united church, the joy of leading a church that's going on with God. You know, numbers don't, don't tell you everything. Last Wednesday, we had this meeting, uh, a normal pastor's meeting, when we talked about, one of the things we talked about was what defines success in a church. Because we were all green with envy at the uh, vineyard extension, you know. And uh, I did not know this until I talked to Chris about the vineyard extension, which is full of children's rooms, that actually they have registered with them 600 children. And you just think, 600 children? Whoa, something else, eh? And so these pastors, when I arrived, were looking out of the window at this extension. And they turned around as, we, as Dom and I arrived, and one of them said, I'm green. My eyes are green. And that got us talking about what defines success in a church. And do you know what I've decided in my heart defines success in a church? is when everyone in the church is following Christ to the best of their ability, empowered by the Spirit. I've decided that's a successful church. Because everything seems to follow from that. So, I don't know what percentage you give us. What percentage you give yourself? How close are you following Christ? Is this family of ours helping you, supporting you, encouraging you to follow Christ more closely. Secondly, honour is a consideration. Don't panic. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 3 to 14. This is a longer passage, but it's quite easy going, so we'll run along fast. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. This is about honour as a consideration. This is my defence to those who would examine me. That was the critics that Paul was struggling with. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle as an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the ploughman should plough in hope and the thresher thresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 
Well, Paul's a bit hot under the collar about this. And there's more, <clears throat> there's more on this in 2 Corinthians. And um, the quote he's quoting about Jesus was uh, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus says, when Jesus says, in Luke 10, verse 7, the worker deserves his wages. When he's sending out the 72, he, that's uh, what he says, the worker deserves his wages. The background to this is that in Paul's day, there were travelling philosophers, if you like. There were travelling people, gurus, if, whatever you want to say. There were travelling people who were supported. They were supported by patronage. Someone, some rich person paid for them to wander around the country giving their talks. Sometimes they charged a fee for giving a talk. Sometimes they worked to pay for themselves as they travelled. And sometimes there were beggars who did it. They basically begged for money and then gave you a little talk. I know it's difficult in the 21st century with the telly when you can watch X Factor and such. Why would you go outside and sit and listen to some bloke philosophising? Well, the answer's simple, isn't it? They didn't have a telly. I'm not getting through, am I? <laughs> so uh, they didn't have... They, so it was fun to go and listen to philosophers. Anyway, this is the problem that Paul has. <clears throat> Paul seems to have denied himself that financial opportunity and worked. There, there's hints elsewhere in the Bible that he did have patronage from some people. Um, and certainly different churches at different times provided for his needs. And he boasted on that. And he said, you know, the, these churches, they've been great. They've provided for my needs. I was really struggling here, but this church sent some money. I was really ha helped. And, you know, at this point when it's the, the argument with the Corinthians, he's, he's very keen to say, I, I worked with Priscilla and Aquila. I got myself down to the tent-making factory and said, give me a job. And so he is really keen to make sure people understand in, this, in Corinth that he had the right to be paid and to be, for his expenses to be covered, but he did not take that right. Now, the, this is an interesting point. We could talk about this for a long time, but I'm not going to. Aren't you relieved? So what happened was that the response of people to Paul's actions went two ways. The first way was, if you don't take support, if you are not supported, then people will not listen to you because they don't think you're worthy of support. That was one attitude. If you want people to listen to you in the church and in evangelistic situations, you should be like these other people. You should have the honour of being supported. It speaks about what you're saying. Good support for 
Christian leader speaks about what they're saying. On the other side were people who said, oh, it's great that he works. It's not a burden on us. That's great. We don't have to pay for him. He's free. And that's good because the gospel's free. And so he's demonstrating that the gospel is for everyone. And so Paul was in a bit of a dilemma. And he uses these everyday examples and this Old Testament reference to cover the issue of finances. It's always a touchy issue, finance. In the, <clears throat> in the churches in which I grew up, it was the pastor, they had this little phrase, keep him poor, keep him humble. And I think keep him poor, keep him humble was a disgraceful attitude. It was related to this one, keep him under our thumb, higher and fire. That was an attitude that the charismatic movement in the 70s burst out of that and said, no, we want leaders who live like us, have mortgages, have the problems of arguing with HSBC or whoever it is, who live like us, have to pay the rates, have to do all the other things that we have to do. It's good. Also, we honour them with a proper salary. And so I'm just going through the principles here. I want to say to you, God has never let Jackie and me down. And you have a church, as a church, have honoured me with a salary. And we have never been let down. There were times when we were younger with the kids, young, when finances were very, very difficult. We've been through that. We know what it feels like. But you as a church have honoured and still honour the employed staff with proper salaries. That's why our budget is expensive. That's why we call for your giving. Because we want to do the honourable thing. In my previous church, there was a, a member of the church who was a trustee and he was a, a member of the salaries people. And he, he said to me one day, he said, David, he said, uh, I just cannot get away from a proper interpretation of 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, which, for those of you who don't know it, says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour. He said to me, I don't know that I can get away from this. Double honour must mean Double honour financially as well as double honour anywhere else. He said, must me, I can't get away from it. I have to 
He said, I've been studying it and thinking about it for a long time. I've, I, it must mean double honor, double salary. He said, but don't expect it because you're not getting it. I may have told you this before, in South Africa, my friend Francois was telling me about the difficulty of employing a black pastor. Do you pay him a white salary or a black salary? Because the salaries are like this, you know, far apart. If you pay him a white salary, he's stinking rich in the black community. If you pay him a black salary, He's poverty-stricken in the white community, and it's a mixed-race church. How do we do? How do we handle this? One of the difficulties. I know what you're going to say. Pay him in the middle. But money can be a touchy subject in church life, and I want to say to you guys: just consider, just be considerate. This is the principle for us. Honor is consideration. Just consider what's their needs. Can I help? Is there some way I can bless? Like you would anyone else in the church, actually. What's their needs? How can I help? How can I bless? Sometimes we want to bless people just because they're them, don't we? Just because they're there and they're them. We want to bless them. If you don't think like that, then start, okay? And church leaders are just the same. Don't ignore them. Say, well, they've got salary. Love them and consider their needs. Good. So just a few moments now to go. Oh, yes, I've got several illustrations I haven't told you about, but one of them is this. The elders and wives in Sidcup Church, when I was there, we were given a banquet. Suddenly, we were told there was going to be this night when, you know, we, we were all going to be given a banquet. People in the church were going to serve us. They were black tie waiters, and uh, the, the babysitting was organized, and the Everything, it was beautifully laid out and, and we all sat around at this table and people served us and fed us. We had a great evening together and it was wonderful. I'm not saying that because I want you to do this tomorrow. But uh, next month would be nice. Um, so there was this huge table and, and, and great serving attitude. Wonderful. I kept the menu. They'd done this big you know, sort of posh pucker menu thing. I, I kept it for ages. I, I, it may still be in the loft. You know, it must be, it must be, well, it's a long time ago, probably 30 years ago. And I still remember it with huge fondness. It represented their love for us as a group of leaders. Honour as consideration. And finally, honour as respect. Honour as respect. Back to 1 Thessalonians 5. And um, it just says, 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over in you in the Lord, to respect them, to esteem them very highly in love. Honour as respect. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Because Timothy was a pretty young leader and uh, people were beginning to sort of mutter and murmur, obviously. And he said, no, let no one despise you. So honour is respect. Leaders love you. Leaders need to set an example in their own lives. We are hopefully appointed and anointed but we're not perfect and the church here is not perfect. We ask you to respect our example, our experience and our theology. In my previous church in Brentwood there was a there was a Christian psychiatrist and his wife and they ran counselling courses and all sorts of stuff and we used to talk a lot about the theology of salvation because I soon began to realise that how he viewed what happened at the moment of salvation and what I viewed as happened at the moment of salvation were actually different and as a consequence his attitude to counselling and how he would counsel people was very different to ours. And uh, this, this clash became more and more difficult for us, especially as we really liked each other and were friends. And our wives, too, friends. But it got to the point where he said, David, I feel it's best if we go to another church because I don't want to create problems for you in this one. That's a good attitude, isn't it? He, since he continued, he, you could say, well, he should have respected your theology and changed his. Well, yes, maybe, but we spent a lot of time talking about it. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's what he should have done. But certainly, as a, at least a second best, this was a good thing to do. I don't want to create factions, because people were, were beginning to draw to him and compare him to the leadership of the church. So... Respect our theology and our directing of the church. Respect such an important thing, isn't it? You know this recent baker business in Northern Ireland, yeah? So the baker business that has been in the courts. And uh, the court found against the baker uh, and, his, and his decision not to put this... Uh, put this thing on the top of the cake that was promoting gay relationships. And I don't know if you've seen, but Peter Tatchell, 
although he absolutely fundamentally disagrees with the baker, has said that he is absolutely clear also that it's a wrong decision and that the baker should be upheld in his desire not to put this slogan on the cake. And what a terrible moment for free speech in this country this decision is. I thought it was interesting, more than interesting, fascinating that a, a man like that with those attitudes should say this. And he's saying it because he recognises that we need to respect one another and that there is a tyranny that comes when there is no respect. And I know that Richard Dawkins is losing a lot of support amongst people who are atheists and disagree with us. And he's losing a lot of support because he is so obviously disrespectful. And people are saying, we don't want to be associated with what he says because of the way he says it. Respect is at the heart of what Paul is talking about here. So we honour our leaders with respect. We honour our leaders with love. In our culture, in Paul's culture, in God's culture, we honour with our heart, we honour with our respect, we honour with our consideration. And guys, I thank you that you've always done that for me. I thank you that in this recent years I've known your love and your care and your consideration. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, this has been difficult to, to do. But we pray that it will be fruitful in people's hearts and minds. Lord, I thank you before you once again. I honour this congregation, these people, and the people who've preceded them through this church. Lord, the, the, the many, many, many people who've passed through and who have received so much from the church, but also have respected and honoured the leadership. We thank you. Lord God, may it be a joy for us all to be together in this church. Amen. Amen.